Explorers Guild, the podcast that dives into gaming lore. In this part two episode, we're continuing the story of The Witcher. In part one, we discuss the origins of Geralt of Rivia, Yennefer, Triss, and Ciri, alongside some of the major leaders of the continent. In this episode, we're going to look into the adventures they got into together that culminated in the events of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Once again, there is a glossary and map available on the Twitter at ExplorersCast if you'd like a reminder of some of the mentioned people and places. Let's dive back in. So, Ciri, a child born through the lore of surprise, is under the care of the Witcher Geralt and his long-term on-off girlfriend, the powerful sorceress Yennefer of Vengeberg. Emperor Amir is still steadfast in his determination to invade the North, and the North opposes him. Ciri is no ordinary child, a skilled witcher in training, the heir to several thrones, and blessed, or cursed, with highly coveted magic within her blood. Ciri and Geralt are linked by destiny, and Geralt and Yennefer are linked through the powerful magic of a djinn who pulls them together. Shortly after Amir released them, but just before the beginning of the Witcher games, the following events happened. Geralt travelled to Rivia. Ciri, Triss, and Yennefer lagged a few days behind. When they finally caught up, they found Rivia in the midst of a huge riot. Chaos filled the streets, and Geralt was found impaled and dying on the ground. Triss and Yennefer called a hailstorm to successfully disperse the riot, but despite her best efforts, Yennefer was unable to help Geralt and blacked out, almost dying herself. The unicorn who had helped Ciri against the NL appeared on the shores of the lake nearby, its horn emitting light that Ciri pointed towards Geralt and Yennefer. She took their unconscious selves to a boat and they sailed to an island, where Ciri promptly left and her adoptive parents healed up with the help of the unicorn and awoke to her gone. Ciri utilised her power as the Lady of Space and Time and left, travelling to another world where she met King Arthur. Yep, that is THE King Arthur, and stayed in Camelot for a while, off the records and out of trouble. Geralt would months later be captured by the Wild Hunt, and while Ciri was pursued by them once more, she managed to free Geralt and point him to the forests of Cairn where he would be found with severe memory loss and rested until he'd physically recovered. And this is where we find him at the beginning of the first game. During The Witcher and The Witcher 2, Geralt is battling both his amnesia and the powerful political figures in the world who seek to use him for their gain. And of course, he battles monsters too. At the start of the third game, we see Geralt once more at Kaer having recovered most of his memory, preparing to embark on a journey to find Ciri, who has largely been absent. Yennefer agreed to work with Emperor Emir to hunt for Ciri, and she sends Geralt a letter asking to meet her after she'd used every magical spell and ritual she knew of to try and find her first herself. They agreed to split off and each search a different area of the continent to give them the fastest chances of finding her, with Geralt tasked with searching Velen and Novigrad before meeting up on the Isles of Skellige. Here, Geralt would embark on many an adventure, helping the people of the villages with their monster problems while following Ciri's trails by quizzing people in high places who might have information. The mysterious and dangerous magic wielders of the continent inspire many feelings to those who know them, for some, awe and excitement, for others, fear and loathing. 
This fear pushed many leaders to act with extreme prejudice against anyone who was caught using magic, the most aggressive leader being King Radovid, who looked to destroy any sorcerers or mages he could find during a crusade in the northern kingdom of Redania. And really, who could blame him? All royal courts on the continent have advisors to the king, and in most of those courts, one of those advisors is usually a mage or a sorceress. Radovid's father was the previous king of Redania, King Vizima, and his magical advisor was one sorceress named Philippa, one of the few sorceresses alive to have mastered the difficult art of polymorphing. But it seemed she had ambition beyond what being a royal advisor could offer, and for one reason or another, it's alleged she had a direct hand in the assassination of King Vizima. Radovid was only a boy at this point. The kingdom of Redania fell into chaos, ruled by a regency, and Philippa was not kind to the child left to grow without his father. Radovid grew up, assumed his position as king, ruled with a stern fist, and hated magic and those associated with it with a grim passion. Redania fought against Nilfgaard, and both Nilfgaard and Redania looked to control the major free city of Novigrad, a place you'll spend a lot of time in if you play The Witcher 3. Radovid took one of the major crime bosses of Novigrad, Horson Jr., and employed him to turn in the other crime bosses. The fight against mages can be seen throughout the game in the form of witch hunts conducted by the Church of the Eternal Fire, and it wasn't just mages caught by these fanatical cult-like groups. Anything non-human, mildly magical in any way, or just anything that smelled a bit funny was caught and burned at the stake. Nilfgaard and Redania, while not necessarily encouraging these sport-like hunts, didn't much care to stop them either, and the general public was swayed to believe anything non-human or magical was to be feared and destroyed. This made for difficult times for any sorceress unlucky enough to be found practicing magic. Within Novigrad schemed a man who'd been instrumental in the regency that ruled Redania after Vizimir's assassination, Siggy Dykstra. He had a big role in the Redanian leadership until he was ousted by political plots, and he disliked how Radovid was a bit of an unstable tyrant who was undoing all the good his father had built. So he banded together with loyalists from Temeria to plot against the king. Dijkstra owned a bathhouse in Novigrad and became one of the big four crime bosses that Horson Jr. was tasked with spying on. And Dijkstra plotted to assassinate King Radovid, both to free Redania and to bargain with Nilfgaard for Temeria's independence. And Dijkstra and Geralt have a bit of a past too. The two have butted heads, literally, at one point with Geralt breaking Dijkstra's ankle, but there was somewhat of a mutual respect between them that kept them neutral towards each other in the grand scheme of things. And Dijkstra even opposed the witch hunting. Years before the witch hunts really kicked off, Philippa, the presumed assassin of the former King of Redania, or at least someone with a big hand in the assassination, settled on a new pathway to power by creating the brand new Lodge of Sorceresses from the Ashes of the Brotherhood. The Thaned coup that Yennefer and Ciri had been tangled up in had killed off most of the senior mages in the continent, and the ever-canny Philippa sensed a good opportunity. Gathering the major powerful forces together, the goal of the Lodge was to remain politically independent within their meetings and to protect the interests of magic. She wanted to influence the political direction of the continent and ultimately to have a magical influence directly on a throne in a seat of power. And for the Lodge, their ideal candidate to fill the seat was Ciri, already heiress to a throne and a vessel of incredible power. 
Yennefer did not particularly agree with this plan, which caused a lot of friction between herself and the other sorceresses of the Lodge. Eventually, Ciri was confronted by the Lodge and told of the plan. For her to have her manipulate a king to fall in love with her and bear a child that would take the throne, for the good of the continent, of course. Ciri was due to meet with Geralt, and the Lodge was forced to let her meet with him to discuss this future, after they cast a close vote between their members, rather than forcing her to stay. Ciri went on to meet up with Geralt, and that's when they became caught up in the riots of Rivia and almost permanently killed, if not for the intervention of Ciri's unicorn friend. The Lodge fell apart sometime after this, and coinciding with this pivot those in charge had over their attitudes about mages, many of the Lodge's sorceresses went into hiding, like Kira and Triss. Philippa becomes trapped in her owl form and eventually falls into the hands of Dykstra, who was none the wiser to the owl's true nature. Others were tortured and brutally executed. The Lodge fell from grace and major influence, but the sorceresses continued to work behind the scenes, and eventually, through gritted teeth, they were called upon to help find and protect Ciri. So, we have the northern land of Redania, ruled by the stone-faced strategist King Radovid, who has a particular disdain for mages and a lust for revenge over one particularly crafty sorceress, Philippa. Redania have absorbed the land to their east, Kedwen, and fight as one against the south. We have the southern empire of Nilfgaard, ever advancing into the north, set on conquering everything, ruled by the emperor Emir. Currently, they've made their way all the way up north and have taken over Temeria, residing in the capital Vizima. They're at war with Redania and Caedwin. Between the two lies Novigrad, a major city that is not controlled by any kingdom, but has many resources, being a major port, making it an attractive grab for anyone in power. The Church of the Eternal Fire roams, searching for any magic users and burning them at the stake. Within the city, major crime bosses scheme behind the scenes, each occupying their own territory, and for the right price, their allegiance can be bought. The city was formerly considered a safe haven, and Triss Marigold was caught up within the city and forced to pay one such crime boss, the King of Beggars, for his protection and silence, while aiding the other mages seeking to escape. It was also home to Dandelion, who was in a spot of bother of his own. The sorceresses and non-humans of the continent are in peril due to the prejudice against unnatural forces. And then we have our witcher Geralt meeting up with Yennefer, who hasn't seen him for quite some time, conflicted lovers coming together to search for their adopted daughter Ciri. Yennefer, called for by Ciri's biological father, Emperor Emir, who received information that pointed to her being in danger. She's hunted by the NL elves with their mysterious and deadly wild hunt, who want her latent abilities, powered by her bloodline, to enable their own time-space travel to help them conquer new worlds and escape the inevitable white frost that's consuming their own. There's a lot to get on with there. What happens next is entirely at the hands of the player, and the plotline's branches are quite extensive. Even the smaller decisions you can make have a large effect on the political outcomes of the realm and your personal relationships. Geralt begins his search for Ciri after receiving information that points to her being seen in Velen at the home of a man called the Bloody Baron. The Baron admitted that yes, she did stay with him for a time, but if Geralt wants to know more, he must first help the Baron out. Information does not come freely. 
The Baron's wife and daughter are mysteriously missing, and Geralt is tasked with searching for them, something that should be fairly simple for the Witcher and his superior tracking skills, but ends up being a much longer endeavour than Geralt had anticipated. As it transpires, the Baron hadn't been a particularly nice person to his wife and daughter, and the wife had been carrying their unborn child, which due to the abuse she had endured, had been miscarried and buried, turning into a monster known as a botchling. Geralt can use the botchling to track down those that share its blood, and he finds the daughter safe in a nearby town, angry at her father and very unwilling to return home. A nearby witch is rumoured to have quarrelled with someone who marries Ciri's description, so Geralt goes off to investigate and finds the mage Kira Metz, who tells him of an elven mage who was recently associated with Ciri, who might hold more clues to her whereabouts. Together they investigate the lead and unfortunately come up empty, but before they part, Kira tells the witcher of a place he could look into, the swampy crookback bog, home to hideous crones with a dark secret. While Ciri hadn't quarrelled with Kira, perhaps she'd found herself on the bad side of the crones. Well, the crones, known as the Ladies of the Wood, are three legendary sisters who communicate via a tapestry to an old woman nearby who does their bidding. The woman was bound to the crones, taking care of orphans from nearby villages, and the fate of all involved is in your hands. The woman is, in fact, Anna the Baron's wife, who was not entirely innocent in her part of the events that led to her being there, but nonetheless she owed the crones and they tricked her into accepting a deal that would ultimately make her lose her mind and potentially her life. The crones tell Geralt that Ciri had accidentally teleported to them after all, and when they decided to chop off one of her limbs and eat it for that delicious elder blood and hand the rest of her to the wild hunt, Ciri had found out and managed to escape. Now, Geralt can try and help Anna, but depending on some subtle decisions, her fate may already be sealed. The children she cared for are turned into a stew for the crones. And a favourable outcome would end up with Anna's mind lost and the Baron, repenting his mistakes, taking her to the north to seek her help, where you won't hear from them again. Other outcomes are pretty dark, and you can search them upon YouTube yourself if you wish. If you wish, you can also pursue a questline involving Kira Metz, whose allure Geralt may be unable to resist. He would be one of the first mages that Geralt has had a tryst with, and in fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a mage who Geralt hasn't, in fact, had a history with. You're asked to investigate a strange, ghostly being in a tower on a small island that seems to be troubling locals. When you investigate, you find what at first glance seems to be a laboratory of sorts, once home to a mage who'd been experimenting with a plague. The tower had seen bloodshed, and as such, a young woman had died there and continued to make her presence known. If you help her, it's revealed she's not what she seemed to be. And if you aren't careful, you might unwittingly unleash a plague maiden upon the land that spreads disease and decay unchecked. Oops. Now regardless, the mage of the tower had left notes, and it's these particular notes that Kira is looking for. She plans to try to buy her way into favour with Radovid by exchanging these notes so he can use the research against his enemies, and in exchange, she could be pardoned. If you let her do this, or fail to convince her otherwise, she will find Radovid, and she will die brutally. Alternatively, if you're diplomatic enough, she will instead make her way to Kaer Morhen and is able to help you later in the game. 
So Geralt continues on his search and ends up in the contested city of Novigrad. The Church of the Eternal Fire are hard at work exterminating anyone magical in the city and one of the first things you see when entering Novigrad are the burning corpses of a mage and a Doppler before baying crowds instructed by Caleb Menger, the head of the church. Triss Merigold, one of Geralt's on-off love interests, is trapped and trying to help other mages escape without being detected, something you can aid with if you wish. And if you're so inclined, you can rekindle the love interest between Geralt and Triss as well. But first, Geralt needs more leads on Ciri, so consults an aniromancer, a person who can interpret dreams to help. And the dreams showed that Ciri was indeed in Novigrad not long ago, with Geralt's longtime bard friend Dandelion, and the two of them had been blowing up an underground vault as part of a heist. Geralt would find out later that Ciri needed help repairing an item that held a curse, a curse that would slowly turn her companion into a strange creature. This item, a phylactery, was broken and needed to be fixed to reverse the curse, but fixing such a powerful object was no easy task and required the help of someone more knowledgeable. Dandelion took Ciri to one of the major crime bosses in Novigrad, the delightfully named Horson Jr., who said he could help fix the phylactery for a price. So Ciri and Dandelion found themselves needing money fast and struck the vault of another of the crime bosses in a clever plan involving an old acquaintance of Geralt's, Dudu. Dudu was a Doppler and could change his form to become anyone or anything. And in this instance, he became a recently deceased patron of the local bathhouse owned by none other than Siggy Dijkstra. The bathhouse, a scene of opulence and corruption, is visited by Geralt and Dijkstra asks him to investigate the theft from his vault, none the wiser to Geralt's knowledge of who was really behind it. Your investigation reveals Dandelion was caught by the dastardly head of the Church of Eternal Fire, Caleb Menger, and you tactically tell Dijkstra that Menger has his treasure. Unfortunately, this now means you have to find a way to retrieve it from a heavily fortified fortress. Meanwhile, Horson Jr., who has been under the thumb of King Radovid, has been causing a lot of trouble and upset in Novigrad, and is beginning to really get in Geralt's way. Geralt decides to visit Radovid, pretentious and frustrating to deal with, and Radovid gives up Horson's location in exchange for a future favour. Unfortunately for Horson, he had outlived his usefulness to Radovid, and his life was now forfeit. Horson is forced to tell Geralt everything he knows about Ciri, about the heist going wrong and the treasure being confiscated by Menga, and that he'd captured Dudu and forced Ciri's hand and she'd managed to free him and escape the mansion and then disappeared once more. Whilst Geralt would love nothing more than to pursue this lead and find Ciri, there is unfinished business to be done in Novigrad and Dandelion is still in need of a hero. Triss and Geralt devise a plan if Geralt brings Triss, a mage, cuffed and bound straight to the hands of the Church of Eternal Fire, they'd be practically frothing at the mouth at the opportunity to destroy her. A risky plan, but a good one. They enter Menga's household and Triss is tortured as Menga, pleased with Geralt's work, provides information on Dandelion's whereabouts. Unfortunately, Triss's cuffs are fake and she's able to stop the torture as soon as Geralt has what he needs and exacts her vengeance against the man who had destroyed countless friends and innocent peers. She murders Menga. This is subjective to your playthrough and choices. They return to Dijkstra, who has figured out that Geralt knew all along about the real culprit of the heist, 
and safe to say he isn't happy about Geralt's unwilling to be forthcoming with information. But as Geralt has indeed returned his treasure as promised, they part ways somewhat amicably, though with the insinuation that next time they meet, things might not be so pleasant. Geralt searches for Dudu, who has been in hiding since he and Ciri's escape from the mansion. And after Dudu reveals himself, during a play put on by Geralt, he convinces him to help free Dandelion. Eventually, a grateful Dandelion is freed and tells Geralt all about how Ciri was trying to lift a curse using the phylactery, and Geralt concludes it's time to search the islands of Skellige. If you're interested in sticking around in Novigrad, you can help solve a nasty serial killer mystery, assist Dandelion with his cabaret dreams, and, most significantly, meet up with Dijkstra once again to discuss his Temerian loyalist plot to assassinate Radovid. We haven't really covered Skellige at all yet. The islands are the basis for some of the most beautiful landscapes in the game. Craggy, snow-topped mountains, deep ridges, spruce trees sprinkled in dense pockets, and all surrounded by the icy waters reflecting the islands up into the sky. There are six islands. Their king or queen is chosen by a moot, where higher up, the Jarls from each of the seven clans compete to be chosen as leader. When Geralt makes landfall on Skellige, he finally meets up with Yennefer, a tense affair where longing lingers in the air between them but mingles with the literal and figurative frost. They arrive in time for King Bran's funeral as Skellige loses their monarch and must find a new one between all the Jarls. And of course, Geralt and Yennefer are most interested in finding Ciri after hearing of a mysterious cataclysm that was rumoured to have happened in the forest recently that had her hallmarks all over it. They steal a relic from Ermion, aka Mouthsack, the druid advisor to the throne, which despite his warnings is used by the pair to see visions of the past. When they use it in the decimated forest, they are treated to a series of visions showing Ciri arrive with a mysterious companion before escaping into a portal. And as Geralt is somehow just a magnet for politics, it's no surprise that he gets tangled up in the intricacies of the Skellige moot. Numerous big names of the clans of Skellige put their name up for consideration, but the late king's wife was more interested in shirking tradition so her son could rule. While those of Skellige feasted in the Great Hall, chaos suddenly engulfed the proceedings, with wild bears appearing seemingly from nowhere and ripping the hall apart, murdering all but three of the contestants, Hjalmar, Ceres, and the son of King Bran. Hjalmar and Ceres are sent out to find who was responsible for the senseless murder, as the deaths had happened in their family keep, it was almost their responsibility, and Geralt is asked by their father to help. Your decision here determines the next leader of Skellige, and as it turns out, the person who had sent the bears was none other than the wife of the late King Bran. Meanwhile, Yennefer caught wind of news that the Wild Hunt had recently been seen on the Isle of Hindisfjall, so the duo set off to investigate, and the locals told them a tale of a white-haired girl seen with a local lad they called Craven. Unfortunately, as many who see Ciri would see her presence as somewhat of a blessing, it was a curse for the poor lad known as Craven. 
What had happened was Siri had popped out of nowhere on the island of Hindisfjall, and Craven, real name Skjall, was asked to care for her, not that he particularly minded, and he and his family showed her every kindness. But the skies soon darkened, and the wild hunt descended. The injured Siri knew she had little chance of fighting their strength alone, and had no chance but to run. Skjall helped her, providing her a horse, and when she requested he come with her to meet her companion, lest he surely die, he tried his best. She met with her companion, and after an argument, they sailed off together, leaving Skjall wounded behind. And when he came to, he was alone, except for a small, strange creature sat in the boat that he was sure Siri and her companion had rowed off in just hours earlier. Skjall was assumed to be a deserter, a coward, a craven, and was sent to the nearby gardens, where it was rumoured a werewolf prowled in order to fight the beast and reclaim his honour and inevitably perish. Yennefer, not particularly squeamish about such details, found poor Skjall's body and reanimated it with necromancy, forcing him to live out the last gruesome moments of his death once more as he begs to be left alone. Sadly, his kind heart did not pay out dividends. But now they had another lead on Ciri's whereabouts via this strange creature found in the boat. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So what actually happened with Siri through all this back and forth? Well, Siri first arrived on Skellige with a companion, chased by the wild hunt, and escaped to the main continent from a portal that devastated the forest, causing the cataclysm the locals had experienced. A slow-moving curse caught her companion, however, and the two were separated, with he being left on Skelliger and Siri landing in Crookback Bog, exhausted and injured, falling right into the hands of the crones. She managed to escape after hearing of their plans and ended up with the bloody Baron, who helped her recover. She gained his and his men's respect after saving him from a basilisk, but she couldn't stay long, fearing the wild hunt was on her tail, so she continued onwards to Novigrad, where she met up with Dandelion. Fixing the broken phylactery was her priority, leading Dandelion to suggest Horson Jr. and resulting in the heist on Dijkstra's vault to pay the crime boss his requested fee. After Dandelion was captured, Horson did a 180 and captured Dudu, but Siri helped him escape and teleported them both away. All this teleporting had the unfortunate consequence of alerting the wild hunt to her whereabouts, and as she portaled back to Skelliger, the hunt were hot on her trail, attacking the town she'd sought help in, killing almost everyone within. Her companion, who still wasn't completely affected by the slow-moving curse yet, 
caught up with her and put a protective spell on her before putting her on a boat to the Isle of Mists nearby, obfuscating her presence. And then the curse fully took hold, and the companion became a hideous creature known as Uma. Uma was found by a local yarl, who kept him as an oddity, until he managed to sell the creature for a lot of money to a travelling merchant. This merchant took to Novigrad, where he met one Philip Strenger, aka the Bloody Baron, and challenged him to a few rounds of the classic Witcher card game pastime, Gwent, that somehow I have gone this whole podcast without mentioning. The Baron is famously pretty decent at Gwent, and after a few rounds and the merchant becoming increasingly desperate, the creature was used as bet collateral. Uma ended up living with the Baron and was even remarked upon by a curious Geralt when he visited, but no one was any the wiser as to his true identity. Yennefer and Geralt had their theories, at first thinking that Uma might in fact be Ciri, but they needed to find a way to break the curse without killing the creature to find out. So after they retrieved the strange being, known as the ugliest man alive, or Uma, all three together travel to Kaer Morn to figure things out in relative safety. Just before you collect Uma, there is another optional quest, this time involving Yennefer. She's found nearby, there's a man who is a specialist on gins, and she's particularly interested in a gin he was said to own before a shipwreck led to his disappearance. Together you can capture the gin, and if you've chosen to romance Yennefer rather than Triss, you have a choice. Yennefer wants the gin to remove the original wish that bound them together. How are you to know if it truly is love that keeps bringing you towards each other if supernatural forces are also at work? The second guessing was causing friction between the two, and Yennefer was at her wit's end. Geralt was not so sure. He was satisfied with his feelings towards her, and not wanting anything to jeopardise that. She needed answers. The djinn breaks the wish between you, and it's left up to you to decide if you feel the same way about your on-off lover, or if you choose to just be friends. If you fancy it, you don't have to romance anyone at all, though that does seem to go against Geralt's nature that's been set out in the past. So after that, we've got Yennefer and Geralt arriving at Kaer Morn with Uma in tow. They attempt a couple of tricks with the witches at the keep to lift the curse on the weird, ugly man-baby, and resign themselves to the idea of putting the thing through the witcher trial of the grasses to force the curse out. It was a very long night for Yennefer as she sat over Uma, holding a stabilizing spell to keep it together while the transformative potions did their work. But at the end of all of it, a very different figure lies on the table, surrounded by the tense, exhausted crew. That figure, an elf of the NL, Avalok. Geralt interrogates him, desperate for information on Ciri's whereabouts, and a frail Avalok reveals that she's in fact safe, hidden from the wild hunt on the mysterious Isle of Mists, and gives him a small spark of unknown use to take with him. Geralt sets off alone with the spark back to Skelliger on a rickety boat to the Isle of Mists, harried by sirens. On the island, he comes across a small cottage filled with suspicious dwarves, and before they'll think about helping Geralt, they ask him to find their three brothers on the island. He successfully brings one back, and in a strange Snow White-esque situation, they claim Ciri is inside the cottage. Dead. This is what the whole story has been leading up to so far finding the long-lost adopted daughter of Geralt and Yennefer. And when, after much effort and frustration, she's finally found, it's too late. The dwarves head off out, stealing Geralt's boat in the process, and Geralt is left to grieve mournfully over Ciri. That is, 
until Avalark's spark warms her cold skin and reawakens her, for his spell wasn't designed to kill her, just to make her look dead until awoken by the right person. An overjoyed Geralt embraces Ciri and they spend the night catching up, piecing together their story so far. Of course, this isn't the end. As soon as they leave the Isle of Mists, the Wild Hunt will be coming for Ciri and their threat has been no less diminished than when they were chasing her before. They travel back to Kaer Morhen with haste. Allies are quickly gathered and they face down the elven threat as a carefully strategized group. Here, another important decision can be made for Ciri. Do you try and protect her against the hunt or do you give her her own agency despite your better judgment? The witches enact their plan. The sorceresses rain hell from above while the witches run rings around the vanguard, but the wild hunt's numbers are just too overwhelming. And eventually the fight is pushed back into the grounds of the keep. Vesemir and Ciri are trapped by the wild hunt's intimidating general, Imlareth, and Vesemir, one of the oldest and most experienced witches, a father figure to many, perishes to Imlareth's hands while valiantly defending Ciri. Devastated and still not in full control of her considerable latent power, Ciri accidentally unleashes herself, forcing the Wild Hunt to retreat and almost killing more of her Witcher allies until Avalok casts a spell to pacify her. Having spent a lot of time studying her bloodline, Avalok has developed tools and strategies to deal with her particular blend of power and has been trying to help her control it. The death of Vesemir sends shockwaves through the Witches of Kaer Morhen, and as the funeral is held, Ciri blames herself for his death. But the time to grieve is limited, as the Wild Hunt will surely return, and this time they must be better prepared. Ciri, however, wants revenge. Revenge only the death of Imlareth will satisfy. They find he is to attend a Sabbath in Velen, alongside the crones they met earlier, and go off to meet them head on. After a coin toss, Ciri goes on to face the crones, who are creating a lovely-looking stew made of human body parts, and manages to kill two of them. The third, the Weaves, manages to snatch Vesemir's Witcher medallion from around Ciri's neck before transforming into a crow and flying away. Geralt, meanwhile, challenges Imlareth one-on-one, -on -one, and after a difficult fight, Geralt uses one of his Witcher magic signs, Igni, to blast the Wild Hunt's general under his helmet, cooking him from within. Geralt then takes the sadistic elf's own mace and uses it to cave in his skull. That's one threat dealt with. The need for allies grows more desperate. Geralt and Yennefer both travel to persuade those they've met over the years to fight for their cause, or at least for Ciri's, to middling success. Yennefer at least manages to reform the Lodge of Sorceresses, saving various mages from captivity and persuading Philippa she will be pardoned by Emir if she helps. And really, I mean, how could Emir refuse? It's his daughter on the line. The other allies can depend heavily on your own choices and side quest completion throughout the game. And if you choose, the assassination plot against King Radovid can happen with your involvement, with Philippa herself personally exacting revenge on the man who blinded her, justified or not. And afterwards, Geralt must pick his allegiances, for of course there are politics within politics occurring, and siding with Dijkstra, for example, will lead to one particular outcome, where siding with Vernon Roach will lead to Dijkstra's death. It's in your hands. You might also choose to take Ciri to Emir. I mean, after all, that was his request when he sent for Geralt and Yennefer in the first place. But this will affect your relationship with her. 
There will also be a point where Siri will meet the Lodge of Sorceresses, where they offer her an ultimatum, and Siri tells them in no uncertain terms that her destiny is her own and she will not meekly bow to their wishes. Avalark takes Geralt on a magical space-time adventure, travelling through worlds until they arrive in the world of the NL, where they convince Eredin's most trusted lieutenant, Gaels, of Eredin's treachery in the murder of the former king. Their plan begins to form. Using the knowledge of Gaels, they manage to find a place they can lure the wild hunt to in order to give them the best chance of success. Once again, in Skellige, by cutting off the Wild Hunt's chances of escape through an elven artifact called a Sunstone, which they later procure. However, Geralt's suspicion of Avalak and his true intentions with regards to Ciri never truly subsides. The elf is not particularly forthcoming and does a lot to make himself look pretty suspicious, and a trip to his laboratory does very little to help his case. There, they find a huge family tree tracing back Ciri's bloodline all the way back to Laura Doran, and Avalark's reverence over Lara. As it transpired, the two were due to marry all those hundreds of years ago, before she fell in love with the human that would create the rift between the elves and the humans. And deep in his laboratory, they would find another elf, clearly disgusted by humans, who claimed Avalark actually hated Ciri, and was only trying to help her because of the power she could offer more fuel to the suspicion fire, yet Avalark had, until this point, only tried to genuinely help Ciri. Here again, you can understand Ciri's anger and frustration, and you can partake in some light vandalism to help lift her spirits, or you can try and calm her down responsibly, which, in the end, only serves to frustrate her further. These are both very important decisions. You can continue to tie up all the loose ends as you've left them, including paying respects to Skjall with a proper burial, as he died and tarnished his honour to save Ciri back in Skellige. The allies are all gathered and they cannot stall any further. They travel to Undvik to make their final stand against the Wild Hunt. Despite the considerable power of the sorceresses, this isn't an easy battle. Skellige offers the aid and unfortunately this leads to the sad death of Krakon Crate, a former love interest of Yennefer, whose children we'd helped earlier. Geralt must battle Caranthir, Eredin's right-hand man, and after succeeding, is forced into another intense battle against the man himself, Eredin. After the brutal fight in Eredin's dying breath, he informs Geralt that Avalark had been playing them both all along, and that Ciri was in fact up in a tower nearby, being used for her power. Eredin was dead, but the wild hunt hadn't ceased, and Geralt and Yennefer fight through the dogs and dregs of the hunt to get to the tower, and as they approach, apocalyptic winds swirling and another cataclysmic conjunction of the spheres begins. The last time there was a conjunction, 1500 years earlier, realms collided, rifts were created, and monstrous beings flung from one world to another, and humans arrived on this continent. They couldn't let this continue, and Ciri was their only hope of stopping it. The tower is surrounded by a huge magical barrier, and Yennefer manages to make a small opening, allowing Geralt to pass through, where he rushes to confront the treacherous Avalak. But when he arrives, Ciri explains to him urgently that Avalak isn't a threat at all. He's been helping her achieve her destiny all along, and that unless she goes through a portal prepared in the tower, the white frost that had consumed worlds would surely consume their own. Only the power of the Elderblood would stop the White Frost and the Conjunction, saving their and everybody else's worlds. This is the culmination of every decision you've made in the game regarding Ciri. Every moment between you dictates the outcome of what happens next. 
as you choose your words carefully, and Siri, no matter what, passes through that portal. An unfavorable outcome to this, where you've undermined Siri's confidence, questioned her ability, and coddled her overprotectively, will result in Siri passing through the portal, stopping the white frost, but perishing in the process. Geralt, unable to cope with the loss, tells Emir of her death and travels alone to Crookback Bog, facing the crone who survived in an act of revenge. Without spirit to give him strength, he is swarmed by beasts and monsters of the swamp, commanded by the crone, and also presumably meets his demise. If instead, throughout the story, you've made choices that uplift Ciri, encourage her to make her own decisions, believe in her strength and self, Ciri will enter that portal and face the white frost head-on. You'll return to Emir and tell him of Ciri's sacrifice, implying her death, and solemnly make your way to an inn with a specially crafted sword in her honour. When you enter the inn, a hooded figure sits on their lonesome at a table, and when you join them, their hood is lifted to reveal none other than Ciri, alive and eager to continue her path as a witcher by the side of Geralt. If Nilfgaard wins the war through your political decisions, and if other specific events occur, Ciri will also survive, and when you both meet once more, she will explain that after speaking with her father, Emir, she knew that the only way to effect real significant change in the world would be through accepting her position as royalty and influencing through politics. She and Geralt will part tearfully as Ciri goes on to take her rightful place as Empress of Nilfgaard. And to many, this is considered the most favourable canon ending, though that is heavily disputed by those who prefer to see Ciri become a witcher. So those are three of Ciri's endings, but Geralt also has a variety of endings. If you've maybe ignored your romance options somehow, or you've been greedy and tried to romance both Triss and Yennefer, you'll end up with neither, and will continue on your path as a witcher on the open roads, slaying beasts for coin. Romancing Yennefer will see the two of you retiring somewhere quiet, enjoying each other's company for the rest of your lives together. And similarly, Romancing Triss will see you both together in Kovir, where Triss becomes advisor to the king, and you pick up some freelance witchering when you fancy it. Happily ever after. If you didn't choose to assassinate the absolutely insane King Radovid, he will actually defeat Nilfgaard and free the North from their oppression, but not without consequence. For Radovid's lust for revenge against anything non-human would continue despite the end of the war. If you're a mage or even slightly resemble something supernatural, you'll be quick to find the sharp end of a pike. If you did assassinate Radovid, you'll have had two choices side with the politically ambitious and tactically effective Dijkstra, or with the Temerian resistance led by Vernon Roche. Siding with Dijkstra leads to his rise. He reveals himself as the mastermind behind the curtain and steps into power. Sadly, for those who thought he'd bring renewed hope and change to the lands, his reign ended up in effect mirroring Nilfgaard's, so despite pushing them back, the lives of those in the north are really no better. If you murder Dijkstra, Redania would allow Nilfgaard to take their lands, but Vernon's efforts would free Temeria from Nilfgaard rule, meaning Emir pretty much gets his way. The fascinating thing about the Witcher games is how every decision changes such subtle parts of the story, and each playthrough can feel very different. And sometimes it isn't even an active decision. If you rush through the game and don't complete certain quests, you'll lock yourself out of political outcomes, which affect the way the continent turns out at the end. 
In some instances, skipping quests means you guarantee Radovid wins the war, Emir dies, and Temeria is absorbed into Redania. On Skellige, if you don't help defeat the Ice Giant, you will set the next ruler of Skellige as a pawn of his mother's political ambitions. Killing guards near the beginning of the game will affect the way you have to approach the Baron's questline. And then the bigger decisions, every moment you have with Ciri is carefully examined and affects her relationship with Geralt that informs her outcome. It's tempting to be overprotective. Geralt does love his adoptive daughter after all, but choosing to consistently shelter her from danger undermines her confidence and leads to her death. It's a difficult game to navigate, and to tell the story of this game as if it's linear doesn't do the countless branching storylines justice, but explaining every pivot here would be a hefty endeavour, so I've done what I can according to how I experience the game, and according to what seems to be perceived as generally the most favourable outcome. And of course there are two DLCs with their own stories that I haven't mentioned here, but if you'd like me to, just let me know. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Explorer's Guild and the story of The Witcher. As always, there's so much more to discover than the story I've told here, and I'm looking forward to reading more of the books when I can get my hands on them. The Wikipedia has a wealth of knowledge, and on YouTube, if you prefer more of a visual cue, there are a load of videos by some fantastic YouTubers that go more into depth on any of the characters we've heard here. If you enjoyed listening, please feel free to follow our Twitter account at Explorer'sCast, where I post about upcoming episodes. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.